All right, I'm going to begin with a little quiz, as I like to do. Now, this might split the young and the old. Depends what age you are. Not being ages, but this is a fact. Who knows who and what this is? The Ministry of Silly Walks. The Ministry of Silly Walks. Okay. Any of our younger folk know what this is? You know what this is, Addison? You ever seen this before in your life? No? Okay. This is the uh, Monty Python sketch. John Cleese there, and it's called the Ministry of Silly Walks, and it was a bit of a facade about government departments and how useless they were, really. So it carries a lot of weight, I've got to be honest. You know, there's government departments set up now that are, have no real purpose or meaning or achieve anything, and there are a group of people that get paid well by us to do it. But we'll not make it political, we'll, we'll stay with the message. This is Ministry of Silly Walks. Now... I can't remember when Monty Python was around. 70s, would you say? Yeah, 70s. So you think that would be it, the sketch would be gone. But no, no, no. I found out that there is an international day for the Ministry of Silly Walks. It's on January the 7th every year. Watch this little video that I found from our friends at the BBC. Sokan járnak eleve nagyon furán, és egyszerűen csak így nem igaz, hogy annyi az egész, hogy teszed az egyik lábad, ez a másik után rengeteg variáció van, igen. Szerintem eléggé komoly az élet, és néha jól esik egy kicsikét bolondozni. Now, what would you say if you seen this bunch coming down the road? You went up Hanley, <laughs> duck, and you see, you seen all of these folks walking about. What would any normal person think about the way they were walking? No monkey dust, right? <laughs> you'd think it was ridiculous, wouldn't you? If you didn't know the context, you'd think, what are they doing? What way are they walking? But let me, let me take it out of the physical, into the spiritual. Let's think about our walks as Christians, spiritually. And as I was watching that and thinking about that, I'm wondering to myself, how does God see our walk? What does it look like? How do others with spiritual eyes see our Christian walks? What does it look like? I know, personally, I have looked at other Christians and the way that they're walking and went, that's ridiculous. They're not walking as they should. The walk's not just silly, it's stupid. And it's going to hurt them, or it's going to hurt others. I know others have looked at my walk at times and went, that's stupid, it's silly, he's not walking right. I know that God has looked at all of our walks at one point and seen us walking in a ridiculous way and looked at us and went, that's not right. You're not walking properly. Because part of the glorious change that happens in a Christian, 
brings with it a glorious walk. And it should be glorious. That we should walk in a way that is honouring to God. That is the way that God has commanded us to. But also is in a way that God has changed us. Enabled us. Quickened us by the Spirit to walk in that way. Ephesians 2 8, we've looked at it. That we're saved not by anything of ourselves. But it's grace through faith. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Get into verse 10 what's it say? That may we walk in the things that God has ordained for us. I'm paraphrasing there. But that's the message. See salvation is a point. But then there's a walk. And there's a way that we're to walk. And when we're not walking that way. Guess what? That silly video that we've seen. That's what it looks like to God. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. So in this, the passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to have a little look at our, at our walk and how we're to walk as believers. That's what we're going to, we're going to walk through it, if you like. And at the end, we're going to come out with a way that we should walk. Here's the first thing I want to say to you. We've got to walk correctly. That's where it starts. Because if we don't walk correctly, we're going to hurt ourselves. We're going to cause damage to ourselves. You speak to anybody that does any of this kind of you know, physiotherapy, paddle, have you. You know, if you're not walking properly, you're going to hurt yourself long term. It may not be immediate, but you will hurt yourself. If you're walking really badly, you're going to feel the pain immediately. So we've got to walk correctly. That's the foundation. Let's read. Let's pick up in verse number one of Ephesians 5. We'll, we'll read here. Thinking about this thought that we walk correctly. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Has given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater shall have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye, or be not ye, therefore, partakers with them. So Paul, straight out of the blocks here, when he's talking about our walk, he says that we're to walk in love, but he begins by saying that we're to be followers of God as dear children. Now we're breaking into a section where we're going to deal in, in the next time we're in Ephesians with, with family and the submission aspect in the, in the family realm. But he begins by this as a general call to all that our walk is to be like little children as we follow God. So you remember that game, Follow the Leader? There's a holiday we went on, I can't remember which one it was. But the the kids workers had this song, Follow the Leader, 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 Follow the Leader, Leader. You want to do it? No? Okay. (laughs) And what did they do? 
They followed the leader. And they went round the camp. Am I making this up? This did happen. Cyprus, okay. Right, good. So they would walk around in the kids' clubs while me and Claire were sunning ourselves, put them in the, in the kids' club, and they would uh, follow them around. The leader would lead the line, follow the leader. And that's what we were to do. Except our leader is not a person. Our leader is not a tradition. Our leader is Christ Jesus. And we're to follow him. Like little children that just take the basic concept. What are we to do as Christians? Follow the leader. Simple. Simple. And to do this, to walk in love, you know, God's love. And, and, and notice how, how, how Paul writes in. And, and as soon as he talks about God's love, he, where does he bring us to? Calvary. John 3.16. For God so loved. Agape. This is where we're brought to. Is this foundation of how we're to walk in love, how we're to walk correctly. And then he goes on to talk about the things that we shouldn't do, the things that we should hate. Romans 12, 9, Paul says, because, you know, Paul's connected thought, because remember, <laughs> and I, th- I think sometimes we forget this, that Paul, in his writings, is going to correlate his stuff. He's just living out his theology and speaking it out. So you're always reading across his writings and getting reinforcement in his points. And generally what happens, I think, in Paul's writings, when you read across the breadth of it, that we call it in theology, the the, the Pauline corpus, the, the, the complete works of Paul, is that whenever you get some little doctrine that somebody has that they hinge in a verse from Paul, That when you read across the body of Paul's works, if you don't see it kind of coming in theme or flavor even, I would say you've probably taken that verse that Paul's written out of context. Because he creates across the breadth of his body. And he deals with certain subjects and certain topics, but you're going to see overlap. Because he's just talking about what he's learned of Christ. And in Romans 12, 9, he says, Let love be without dissimulation, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. This is what he's saying in Ephesians. You want to walk correctly? Abhor that which is evil. Hate that which is evil. And then he goes on and he lists there in verses 3 down to verse 6 these different things that we're to hate. If we're going to follow the Lord, we have to learn to hate these things. Hate the things that God hates. Love the things that God loves. God doesn't hate things. Can't say that. Who was in Wednesday night? Do you remember the advert? Let's wash the feet. Jesus didn't preach hate. Really? Let's define what hate is. We're not talking about bigotry. But there are things that we are biblically to hate. Jesus says himself, if you hate not, and he goes and lists all these things, I mean, love less. We're to hate the things that God hates. We looked at Proverbs uh, a while ago. I think it was last Sunday's uh, message. The things that God hates. What are these things that Paul tells us about in Ephesians 5? Fornication. Sex outside of the marriage vows. How do you think God feels about the way the world is operating now? Well, actually, this is being reversed. That the norm is not sex within marriage. The norm is what? Sex without. 
Let me tell you, God hates sin. Hates sin. What else? Uncleanness. So it says in verse 4 there, filthiness. What's that? That's the dirtying of the testimony of our sins. You know, walking in sin and allowing it to affect us. Covetousness he has in there. You know, greed, envy. Foolish talking. Jesting, you know, joking that goes too far. All these things in these verses Paul lays out. And, you know, these are are things that we're not to get involved in. Verse 5 says, um, the man is the idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. You may say, well, is this works-based salvation? Now, we don't have time to go into this. Because this is not what I'm here to speak about today. And actually, I believe this verse is talking about for those that are born again and saved that are involved in these things is a loss of reward in the millennial kingdom. But nevertheless, Paul says all these things, and then he says, verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't let these things be named among the children of God. Again, so he's talking to the church body here. Talking to me and you. God's saying, don't let these things be named amongst you once. Be not partakers with them. It's not becoming of the children of God to do these things. The lost world will act in this way. But the saved, the redeemed, are to walk in a different way. They're to walk correctly. Jesus was a... A friend of sinners, they say. He came and he spoke to them, but he never came down to their level. And you find that in those gospel narratives and connections, those that responded came to him and his level. He never affirmed. So we can't use that to say, well, actually, no, it's okay. We can't use grace as a way of saying, well, I can do all these things because I'm saved by grace and it it doesn't really matter. I'm saved anyway. No. That's one of the worst things you could ever say. You belittle the cost of Calvary when you do that. See, to walk in righteousness, we're to walk in a right way. Old Testament talks about how in the, in the presence of two witnesses, something is agreed, is established. Same with our salvation and our walk. You know, they, they, they walk hand in hand. That's what James talks about. So Paul was talking about it a little bit last Sunday evening, the work of faith. I call it the walk of faith. So if we're saved, we've got to act that way. That's what he's saying, basically. We're not to be partakers of those things. Now, there are several ways we can be a partaker. How can you be a partaker of those things? Well, number one, you can ignore them. Know that they're going on and ignore them. So this happens a lot in churches. But they want to practice church discipline where they kind of turn a blind eye because the person is a, an established member of the congregation. Even worse, it happens when the pastor's doing it. <coughs> so if we ignore these things and we just turn a blind eye to them, we're really a partaker. If you keep quiet about these things and don't raise them, you're a partaker. Worse, you can consent to these things going on within the church body or within your life. You're a partaker. Or you can conceal the matter. How often does that happen? 
within the church. It's terrible reputation for concealment. Or worse, we can commend it. And there are churches today that are doing that. They're partakers of the things that Paul says. Have no part. Not, do not let them be named once among the saints. Don't be partakers. So as a, as a church, we want to walk correctly. As individuals, we want to walk correctly. How do we walk in love? Love our neighbor, love God. But more so, the reflection of walking in love is walking away from the things that God hates. Don't let them be part. So we've got to walk correctly. But then we move on a little bit, and I want to say that we've got to walk confidently. And, and this is one of the things I think is lacking a little bit. Because we are, we are fixated by pride, and we don't want to be prideful. But walking confidently doesn't mean pridefully. Look at verse 8. Paul says, For you were sometimes darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved and are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doeth, doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he said, Awake, Thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. What I want to say to you this morning is we should walk confidently. Why? For see it. We were sometimes darkness, but you're now in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. That we're not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. What? On the salvation. Verse 10 tells us that we're proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. When we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, when we reject the darkness, when we walk in light, we're showing who we are, we're showing who God is, we're showing that we're not partakers of darkness, but we're partakers of light, and we're to confidently show that. We don't have to walk around with our heads down, like we're part of some... uh, 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 weak-minded, distant cult. It's a shame to be out there. It's a shame of our Lord that saved us. No, we're to walk confidently. We're to walk boldly. Why? Because we have light. We've been changed. Brought from darkness into light. We are a reflection of the one who has saved us. And the one who has saved us is who? The Lord Jesus Christ, who is where? Ascended in the heavens, sat at the right hand of God, exalted above all. The same God that created everything, that holds everything in existence, that controls everything, that's sovereign over everything. And we're his children. His heirs, co-heirs. And we walk about like little sheep. Because the world's got a louder voice. Nonsense. We've truth. 
And we've got to speak truth. We've got to show truth. And we've got to be confident in that truth. Because confidence is attractive. If you believe what you say you believe and you show it, people are attracted to that. They see it. Or see it, you were sometimes in darkness, but now you're in the light. You're partakers of something else now. What are we partakers of now? Let me tell you. Turn with me to 2 Peter. I want you to turn in these verses with your Bible. If you've got a highlighter, a pen, whatever, you can do it on your phone. I want you to mark all these things. I want you to underline when I pull this out. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Here's the first thing that you're a partaker of. I want you to get this. Now, if this doesn't fill you with confidence... I don't know what will. This doesn't fill you with confidence of how you walk in the world, how you relate to the world, how you feel about who you are. I don't know what will. 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Highlight that. You may say partners in your translation. Because that's what you are. If you're born again, that's what you are. You're not a partaker of darkness. You're a partaker of light. Not just any light. You're a partaker of the divine nature. When you walk in the world today, you walk amongst a lost people as one who has the divine nature of God. Not Godhood, but the presence dwelling within you. Eternal life with him. Turn to Ephesians again. Chapter 3 and verse 6. We've already gone through this in our studies a little bit, but... Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. What else are we a partaker of? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We're partakers of God's promises in Christ. And all his promises are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The promises that are given are ours. Church age. John 14, where I am, you will be also. That's a promise from God for you. What else are we partakers of? Turn to 1 Peter again. Or, well, we did look at 2 Peter, but 1 Peter this time. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You know we're partakers of Christ's sufferings. You think, well, that doesn't sound very cheery. Let's read on. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Christ suffered loss for the joy that was set before him. What is the joy that is set before us? pictured in Christ it's that resurrection joy of the glorious body that awaits 
sinlessness, eternal presence with him. You're a partaker of this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 10. Here the writer of Hebrews, whoever that may be, says this, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he is for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Underline that. If you're a child of God, you're a partaker of the holiness of God. You don't have to worry about your standing before God. You are just, you are righteous before him. That you can never be separated. Why? Because you've partaken of his holiness. The righteousness of Christ. Turn back a few chapters in Hebrews to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 and verse 1. What else are we partakers of? Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. My goodness me. Do you know how privileged you are? Honestly, do you know how privileged you are? Many people in the world today, do you think, roughly? What are we getting to now? Eight billion, something like that? Is that what it is? How many of that do you think are truly born again, redeemed? Percentage-wise, would you say? Uh, It's got to be less than, definitely less than 10%, would you say? Maybe even less than that. I don't know. It's not a lot. But in a population of a world of 8 billion people, those that are born again are privileged to be partakers of the heavenly calling. That's who you are. That's who you are. God has chosen you, not in salvation, has chosen you in service to be partakers of his work, the heavenly calling. Let's move on. Back to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter 5, 1. Peter writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. You know, one day God will reveal his glory in all of us. It will be... uh, made manifest when we receive our glorified bodies, when we go to meet the Lord, whether he takes us to be with him, whether death does the only thing that death can do, put us into the arms of Christ, we will be redeemed in the fullest sense. We will enter into what is the adoption. His glory will be fully revealed. We're partakers of that. So just looking at those things, That we're not to be partakers of darkness, but partakers of light, because this is who you are. 
All of these things are yours in Christ Jesus. They're mine in Christ Jesus. So when we walk, we want to walk correctly, absolutely, because of who we are. But we want to walk confidently. Because if the world was convinced that Christ was real, they would want all of those things and would be confident about it. Why are we the little sheep? The back foot brigade. The head down and hide away. That's not how we're to walk. We're to walk confidently. Not pridefully. None of this is ours through our own works. It's all of Christ. We deserve hell. And he saved us from that punishment, that salvation, but more so our sanctification set aside for service. He's given us all these things and made us partakers. Folks, if that doesn't fill you with confidence, I don't know what else God needs to do. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have days where we're not feeling it, but I'm just talking about how we live and how we walk. I, don't, I can't tell you how many churches I've been in where somebody's come to me and said this, and this is astounding. You really believe that, don't you? <laughs> Especially in Northern Ireland. I've been in Northern Ireland a couple of times now, done communion. And I go, do you know that was really heartfelt? You believe that? Well, do the other people not? But that's how it is. Do you believe this, church? Amen. Good. Me and you, we're there. You've got to walk confidently. Next, we want to move quickly. Never mind confidently. We're not going to get through this. We've got to walk circumspectfully. Let's get back into Ephesians chapter number 5. What does this mean, circumspectly? Let's read Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with uh, wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So here we're told to walk circumspectfully. That means carefully, wisely, uprightly, looking for things that will cause us to stumble. I don't know how many things as Christians we walk into that really we should have seen the tripping point. And we've walked into it, we've tripped over and went, I don't know how that happened. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, because you walked clean towards it. We've got to walk as wise and not foolish. Our walk and our talk should agree. We're to walk carefully. We're to walk righteously. We're to walk biblically. That means walking correctly and confidently. And then verse 16, Paul tells us, redeem the time. That's part of it. Redeem the time. I said this yesterday at the conference that I was speaking at. I, I, I want you to think about time as not a commodity that you use, but as a gift from God that he has given. When you speak about, think about time theologically, because time was created by God. You understand that, don't you? 
that the time that you have in this world is given by God. You understand that, don't you? So what are we doing with the time that he's given? Paul says, redeem the time. Don't let the time redeem you. You redeem the time. I know many times I've heard this, especially as a pastor, (laughs) in, in church life. Oh, I don't have time to do that, Pastor. Do you know what? That's the biggest life in the pit of hell. Most times it says, I don't want to do that, and I'm not willing to redeem the time that I have. That's the reality. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have the time to come to this or come to that. You have the same time as everybody else. You don't have more time or less time than anybody else. We're to redeem the time. We're to use it wisely. Time is a precious treasure. And I get this. There are many thieves. I understand that. The world today is not the way the world was made when God made it. You may say, well, we've got advanced technology. We've got all these things. Let me tell you, God knows more than any human being. And if that was best for us, that's the way it would have been in the beginning. How was it in the beginning? What did God create? That man and woman to walk in and live in? Garden. He created a world that really provided for them. And they just had to walk in fellowship with him, tend to it. Very simplistic lifestyle. Now the evolutionists, theists that want to marry God and evolution will come and talk to you about how Adam was you know, he only, he only had simple choices because he was a simple man. <laughs> you know what, Adam was the best of us. Yeah. The best of us. Like every generation, our, our, our gene pool depletes. We're breaking down. Mutations are coming in. We're, we're not cleverer than Adam. You know when the, the scientists come along and say, this amazing discovery. Oh, human beings are only using so much percentage of the brain. That's not, we're not increasing, we're decreasing. That when Adam, God formed him, there was no redundant part. Everything was fully functioning and fully firing. His intelligence was above and beyond anything we can ever imagine. I personally believe his sight was above and beyond anything we can imagine. You know, you got all the animal kingdom that can see all the spectrum, the spectrum of sound that we can't. I think Adam had it all. He was perfect, he was pure. He was the best of us. That simple life was created for the best of us. We are broken, marred with sin, generation after generation, and we live in a world of busyness. And it takes us away from the simple things. This world is designed to eat up your time so that you don't redeem it wisely and walk circumspectly. So we're to walk correctly, we're to walk confidently, we're to walk circumspectfully. And then let's add this in because here's the other thing. Chosen, frozen. We're to walk cheerfully. We're to walk cheerfully. Look at verse 18. It says, be not drunk with wine, we're in his access. This is Ephesians 5. Filled with the Spirit. Then it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God 
and unto the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. He goes on then and talks about these things that are in the Greek, the results, in the participles in the Greek, it means the results of being filled with the Spirit, the joy of your salvation. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Spend time in his word in and around his people, the community of the local church, the word of God. Grow in your faith. Redeem your time. Walk confidently. Walk correctly. Walk circumspectfully. Be filled with the Spirit. And then these expressions of this joy are seen. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's why it's so important to sing together. You know, in the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church, if we were to go back into those centuries, you wouldn't have been able to sing this morning. It was taken away. The word was taken away. The corporate worship was taken away. All became part of the, the priesthood and the, the, the establishment. We're to sing to the Lord. I don't know about you, you know, but there's days that when I'm not feeling it, I'll read my word and um, just I'll put a hymn on and I'll just revive my soul. It's beautiful. A bit of singing in the shower, as you do. We're to sing. Unto the Lord. But we're to sing with this cheerful heart. You know, this filling of the Spirit. We're not to be miserable. We're not to sing out of a wrong attitude. I was talking yesterday. And I've talked in the church before. I talked about living theologically. And how that our, our worship of God is to meet with our practice of that worship. That's what I'm talking about this morning. But also there's this aspect of our passion, our attitude. That needs to be brought in. Because there's times that we sing with the wrong attitude. Turn to Amos quickly and we're, we're nearly done. Amos 5 verse 21. And the, the Israelites are, 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 are you know, rebuked here. Because their singing was not from the heart. They were just going through the motions. Ephesians 5 verse 21. or Amos 5 verse 21. Sorry. Amos chapter 5 verse 21. Now, just remember that God doesn't hate things, okay? Right? Amos 5.21 I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Will you offer me burnt offerings, your meat offerings? I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thee away from me the noise of thy songs. For I will not hear the melody of thy vows, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. What is that? That's a rebuke to the very heart of their worship. That they're going through the motions and God says, I'm not having it. I'm not hearing it. I'm going to judge it. So as Christians, we're to be filled with the Spirit, yes. But our hearts are to be joyful because of who we are. Joyful in our walk. Joyful in our song. Joyful in our praise. It's heart attitude that comes out through our mouths and our hands as we walk as we ought. Isaiah tells us to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 verse 19. Singing to yourselves. Now verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things 
unto God. So how do we walk, church? Correctly? Confidently? Circumspectfully looking around us? And cheerfully? Because that's who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to leave us with application as a deal. This is what I want you to take away with this thought. See, our walk's important because God is watching and the world is watching. Here's the application. Our walk, my walk, your walk, is an act of witness and an act of worship. It's worship of God as we walk in all that he's given us and who we are. But it's an act of witness. People see it. How we walk will determine our witness, what it looks like. And it will declare who we worship. People will see something of Jesus when we walk correctly. How we walk will determine our witness. Think about those lunatics that I showed you from earlier on. Is that how you're walking in the Lord? Because the word will see it as that. Not matching up with who you're meant to be. The world can pick hypocrites out. What does God see? How we walk determines our witness, whether it's positive or negative. And it also declares who we truly worship. Folks, we've been called to a glorious walk in and through the life's shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on Calvary's cross to save us from our sins, number one. But number two, to give us a glorious walk. Let's walk as we ought, walk as we should, and glorify the God who we love.